What's up guys, Mike Lewis here, and welcome to the Mike Lewis Podcast. If you guys want to keep up with me on social media, you can follow me on Instagram at MikeLewisOfficial, and you can follow me on Twitter at MikeLew52, it's where most of my updates come. If you're enjoying my content, give me a like and a subscribe, and without further ado, let's just dive right into this episode. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode. And if you remember Real World Homecoming from just a month ago, you'll enjoy my guest today, Miss Beth A. How are we doing today? Excellent. Thank you. Glad to be here. I'm glad to finally meet you and speak to you. I've been hearing lots of good things from some of your uh, close friends from your show, um, John in particular. And, um, you know, obviously from watching you, I could see that the reception from what the fans are saying has definitely been very well for you. You know, sometimes we'll see with cast members, there'll be a mixed bag of opinions. But from what I've gathered, you've actually had like a pretty consistent wavelength of people's opinions. Everybody seemed to really enjoy you. How has um, the reception been like for you with the show? Well, I would just I would have to agree with you. And I've shared a little about this already with you, but um it's it's super fun for me to receive the personal messages and the stories from people about how the work that I've done, the advocacy work has impacted their lives specifically. And coming full circle now and having my child um, coming out as trans on the show and being vulnerable and raw and really sharing our process has also allowed for a lot of parents to come forward and share their personal stories, either if they're um, kind of brand new to this or if they have more experience than me. So a lot of people felt compelled to reach out and give me words of encouragement and support and resources. So I feel very blessed that um, not just for that, but it, it it affirms for me that I'm seen, that I'm actually truly seen for who I am and heard and valued. And that's a beautiful thing that I think is rare in reality TV. No, definitely. And I always talk about this with guests that come from older generations of when their show was first premiering, when they didn't have social media um, as a present thing. I always ask them kind of how it's like for them now with reboot shows like Homecoming and then All Stars, how it is to kind of have that there as a navigation system to maybe connect with fans and, you know, promotion and stuff like that. What was your thought process at heading into the show as far as social media went? Were you excited for that aspect or was it something that seemed daunting for you? I think it was more daunting, one, because I don't have a lot of time and two, because it's a new platform. Like I've I've mastered Facebook, but my Facebook page is private. It's really designed for me to stay in connection with family and close friends throughout time and stuff like that. So having to get on the different platforms and navigate it while supposedly looking like I had it together. And also, uh, so before they gave us the news that we were a go, it was, well, what's your social media platform look like? How active are you on social media? We'll try building overnight uh, following on Instagram. Right. Because we we needed to look like we were already savvy because they want us to to promote the show as well. So for me, it was like, oh, my gosh, I need a millennial. So I called up my sister-in-law, who is a millennial and who's great at uh, social media and stuff. And and she kind of helped me get started. I still haven't learned any of the editing things that you can do so that you look masterful and like, Mm -hmm. you know, the Martha Stewart of social media. But I try to be on there regularly. I try to have integrity. I try to think clearly about how what um, content I put up, how it will impact others. Will it make people laugh? Um, is it positive? Is it life affirming? And and then I go from there. And again, I do try to answer everyone that reaches out to me, even if um, they're frustrated with the show or disagree. Or I um, I appreciate being heard, and I want to make sure that our viewers are heard as well. Did you, did you feel like once the show um, stopped premiering that that's what it felt like for you, kind of like a victory tour? Because, you know, now you ended up in the Celebrity Big Brother um, Instagram trailer, if I'm correct, right? And, um, you know, obviously people are perceiving it very well. Is How how does it feel? Like, do you feel like that 
show that you guys just put out was a strong lasting impact for a lot of people? Well, it's interesting because the feedback that I get, and I don't know if it's because my viewers are more heart centered, but the the feedback that I get um, is we want more. And, and more importantly, we would like to have the backstories. We would like to know more about what you've been up to. Uh, a lot of my viewers were kind of sick of the argument between Tammy and David and they were over it. And I'm sure Tammy and David were over it too, right? I mean, because they have more substance than that one argument that they continue to carry in their back pocket. And, and that was the big push is everyone is going, we're not done yet. We want more. We want more of these people. We want to know what they've been up to. And it was interesting because they came and filmed in Hawaii with my family for three days and another day in California. And they have that. And we did a, a house blessing of our house build in the Hawaiian language and in Hawaiian tradition, a lot of content that would have been meaningful. And I, I wish the networks could put more meaningful things into it, give it a little bit more um, humanity. Yeah. Just that that drama factor and the producers say that uh, there's 300% more viewing when there's drama and more viewing means higher uh, advertising. And that's mm -hmm. a, a heavy push for, for Paramount plus, right? You know, cause they've, they've got to be able to cover their costs. There's a whole, there's a whole formula here that they're going for. So unfortunately that negative drama sells. Yeah, and I've seen a lot of people on social media, too, when talking about the show, they've made comments like, oh, let's just keep this cast and have have this be like a recurring thing of just the L.A. Um, the L.A. season come and do more seasons. Do you think that's actually something that, um, you know, would actually be a possibility? And if it were to occur, is that something you would be open to or are there more moving parts there? Well, the, that's a really interesting conversation, because first of all, we were kind of dangled a carrot that there would be 10 episodes and we mm -hmm. gave them 10, 10 episodes. And it's my understanding that Buna Murray wasn't able to sell that whole package to Paramount Plus. So they, they had an initial agreement of eight and they stuck to that. Uh, I'd be interested in knowing after seeing the ratings of Paramount Plus feels that maybe they made an error in that and, and should have done 10 because it, there's so many people asking for more. So there, there's that. I mean, technically, we could give them more. It's already in the can without us even having to come back together. Yeah. Knowing Tammy, who is the leading star of our show, I always, you know, my podcast is called B-Roll because I'm the longest lasting B-Roll character in Tammy's life. So that came out of kind of a ha-ha joking around about being this secondary player in somebody's primary game, right? Um, for Tammy, as much as I've seen David putting out there such negative things on social media about her, I can't imagine with the goals that she has right now to be executive producing her own shows and working with networks like BET on the Miss Pat show, all the things that she's doing. I cannot imagine her wanting to step backwards back into that. I think what people forget is that these are our real lives. And I saw her vulnerability and she walked in there with real trauma from the past. And David did as well. All of us. Right. Mm -hmm. um, I feel like for what my roommates went through, Irene, with being law enforcement in the temperature that there is right now, the climate that we have uh, around law enforcement and all these things. I don't think that we were paid enough money to put our personal lives in in the limelight and the, the manner that it was portrayed. I think that for my housemates, they may have felt taken advantage of in some ways. And I know that we all agreed to that contract up front, but there might've been some naivety there. I really do believe that Tammy in a big way was doing it for all of us so that, that we would have that opportunity financially at this age. They would have to pay a heck of a lot more. And you, you know, we know it's available. We know how much teen moms are getting an episode and, Jersey Shores sure. or whatever, like what half a million dollars an episode so um it's like <laughs> they would have to put a lot more on the table for Tammy to risk her reputation and her career and what she's worked so hard to be at today uh for that to happen 
Were there any things that like glaringly stood out to you in terms of what was left off the cutting floor um, in terms of not making it onto air? Were there some things that stick out for you there? On on this time around? Yeah, or, for the homecoming. For the homecoming? Oh, sure. There's so much footage. We had we had uh, castmates from other seasons come by. We had a party on the rooftop. We had my baptismal. We had um, a lot of more intimate conversations. David and I got up every single morning and talked politics and life and laughter and, you know, 530 in the morning with our coffee doing our thing. There was a lot of intimacy that wasn't shown. You know, they, they were gracious gracious and not showing some personal things that were happening for me. When when we were on the yacht, my aunt um, decided to stop dialysis and pass away. Wow. So my last conversations with her while everyone's arguing, which kind of put things into perspective of what's important, you know. so that And I was grateful that they didn't show that because that was they had some semblance of of uh, compassion in that moment because everything else is open game, right? Yeah. There were shenanigans. We played all kinds of pranks on each other. There was one where um, Tammy and Glenn were <laughs> brawling. I mean, in laughter, right? But like taking each other down. I mean, there, there was a lot of, we had this um, perch came over one of the members from Perch and we're playing music and singing and I and uh, Beth S and I were composing songs together and singing. So there's a lot of content that that could still uh, be shown that would be fun. Like that, that, yeah. Oh, uh, were, were you still going or? No. Oh, okay. Time you can. I'll try yeah, to get I'll, half a pause means hop in there while you can. <laughs> I was just about to say, it seems like with what you're describing right now, almost silly to not include that stuff. But this all draws back to our point that we just talked about before is that drama drama drives, you know, viewership, obviously. And with the current climate of reality TV, I mean, it's changed so much since your original um, L.A. Mm -hmm. seasons, where back then it was the norm to have conversations and just sit around right and just get to know each other and figure out you know this person's story whereas now i mean it's just driven by chaos you know what i mean so it almost and you saw bits and pieces from the homecoming that would um kind of reel itself back into what we uh once knew in a sense with um how reality tv once came about since real world was pretty much the first um reality show if i'm correct yeah, there were in the '60s. There was a show, uh, Lance Loud, who was a he was a writer and editor for um, I think the Advocate. Anyway, his family, the Loud family, in the '60s had this. It was like following a family around, and Lance had come out as a gay man at a time when you just really couldn't do that, and it it kind of caused a lot of hardship for their family and stuff like that and outside of that show i think this is it we're it yeah we're to blame for the demise of american culture <laughs> right yeah true <laughs> <laughs> where did you feel in terms of um how welcoming the rest of the group was compared to the first time when you guys first had your original show did you feel this time walking into this situation you were um there was more welcome and open arms or that's a good question. I think that um, it's interesting because they chose to have Glenn and I come in later again. Mm -hmm. We came in and one hour later, they did the incoming message was the blanket incident. Now, I had never seen that footage before. When I was in quarantine, I watched our season. I had never seen our season all the way through. And I didn't realize that that was the dynamic that I was walking into back then. And nobody ever said anything. And so I walked into a group of people that were completely shell-shocked and shut down, basically. And there was no getting to know each other. I mean, that's a God's honest truth. Beth S., you know, attempted in her way to connect with me on a very uh, skin-deep level, you know, going to the gym, <laughs> things like that. And, um, you know, Glenn and I became closer by default because his band Perch was 
sleeping in the confessional and hiding all over the house. And they were, they were actually kind of gracious and we got to know each other really, really well. And I would make meals with them and stuff like that. And then Glenn kind of started to warm up to me, but, um, so there's that aspect that things were shut down this time when we came in, we're older, we're, we're there to get to know and hear what we've been up to. And we, and it's not six months, it's only two weeks. And there's a level of professionalism. It, for example, Tammy made a much greater effort to connect and get to know us because she's a professional and it's a two week job and she mm -hmm. knows what they want. Was it genuine? I don't know, but I enjoyed it. It was great to get to know her better. It was neat to have organic conversations with her that weren't steeped in, in her own, you know, <laughs> I don't want to say homophobia, but her own, her own reservations that she had in 1993 as compared to today where her daughter had just come out right before the show and things like that, so that, that she was a lot more seemingly open. Mm -hmm. That was fun. That was a, a neat. I went into it wanting to get to know people better. And I feel like I got that. I feel like everyone showed up being more authentically themselves. Tammy's super good at being direct and absolutely honest. But this time she was a little more open, if that makes sense. And I appreciate that. It was fun. Why, why do you think that was? You think it just with age, people just become like more mature or? I honestly believe that she had, you know, I can't think for her, but mm -hmm. that she had the intention of coming into it wholeheartedly. I do really believe that her main motivation in doing this was knowing that if she didn't, it wouldn't happen. I think that, I think she showed her heart that she actually cared enough about us to show up and do this so that we could all benefit from it financially during COVID. And have that opportunity. Like, I mean, God's honest truth. I really believe that she didn't exactly want to do it. And that she did it for the the group. And that shows her compassion and a side of herself that she doesn't show often. And she'd probably be like, you know, don't say that, Beth. Don't make me look like I have a weak link. But I do really think that she came into it from the perspective of being a team player and seeing all of us benefit from that. And that it was from a kind space. And then to so short in the process to jump straight into such uncomfortable topics, she, she kind of pulled that back in real quick, right? It's like, oh, okay, yeah, this is still not safe. Never mind. Yeah. You know, I've, I've got 10 days. I've got, you know, I've signed a contract. I'm a, I'm a professional. I will show up and do it, be it, and then I'm out, you know. So you would say, was it a straightforward process for you in terms of, you know, once you get the call and you're, you know, pitched this idea that you were going or was there any um, hesitation on your part? Well, you know, it was interesting. I was driving down the freeway when I got the call and that's such a great question because I haven't been asked this question. I was driving on the freeway and I was thinking about COVID and, you know, my stores employ women with a fair cost of living wage. And so often and it's a nonprofit. So often my own resources will go into continuing those programs. And I was thinking, you know, I've got this responsibility to I had just moved to L.A. to get my child into art school. So I'm financially sustaining my life in Los Angeles and Hawaii and then had other obligations. And I said, you know, God, it would be so much easier if I could just pay off this sixty thousand dollars debt that I acquired from my this nonprofit work that I've been doing and, and some of the more foolish sacrifices that I made <laughs> for that. It'd be really neat. And I'm, I remember who I am and I can just manifest that and it would be okay if I could just have that because I, I'm physically at a different age. I don't, I, my hustle is different. Everything is shut down. All the ways that I normally make money aren't happening. And then my phone rang right then at that moment. And it was Megan in New York saying, um, hey, we want to do a reunion. Would you be in? I was like, oh, yeah, I just asked for this, didn't I? Yeah, sure, I'm in. So it was like, for me, it was just like, absolutely. And, you know, I'm walking into it with no baggage from the show. It was only positive for me. Right. On the actual filming, 
it was a little exhausting and draining because it was so tumultuous. But that for me, the aftermath was incredible and brilliant. I mean, it, it, it was such a fun and wild ride. So I had no reservation about going into it. I would have no reservation about going into it again a third time if I knew that it would be safe and, and mentally healthy for my castmates. Right. I think what you were able to do um, on this show was pretty impressive when you take into account some of the factors, you know, working against you in terms of, you know, oftentimes we see with replacements, you know, typically they come in late towards the end of the season and then they have a harder time than the originals with getting acclimated to the process and then obviously fitting in um, with the rest of the group. Not only that, but you share the name with someone who's pretty much synonymous with the word real world, you know? So then you have those things working against you, but then from obvious reception of the fans and what I've been seeing people, I've seen some people call you the MVP of the show. Oh, that's so sweet. So you must be on Twitter. I I'm not on Twitter. <laughs> Everyone told me don't do it. Cause I'm too heart centered, you know, to see people say mean things about other people. But, uh, I've had a few people tell me that people have been kind to me on Twitter. So I'm, I'm thankful for that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what I did differently in 1993. I knew that, 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 you know, I have a real connection with God or spirit or whatever you want to call it. Jesus is my homie. And, um, in 1993, I knew I was being given an opportunity to, show representation and visibility for the LGBTQ plus community and that whether I wanted to or not, that it was my moral obligation to, to take that responsibility seriously and show up and do it. Right. And I, and I, there was a part of me that was terrified. I wasn't out necessarily with my family and I was the first lesbian to come out while we were filming. Melissa Etheridge was kind enough to come out, but that was like during filming. Right. <laughs> so this was a, a really big decision for me. And beyond that, I didn't even know if it would air. I thought it would just end up in a can somewhere in an editing room on the floor. I really thought this is, uh, how could this be entertaining? These people were just so like kind of mean to each other. (laughs) And I I didn't get it, right? And I was shell-shocked by the level of animosity and the microaggressions that I would receive towards from Tammy and things like that, that I kind of... um, shrank and I'm a very outgoing person like if you saw the footage of my follow arounds and stuff and what I was up to and I I was a go-go dancer at the time at like the all the rave clubs in LA and um was a very wild child and then what they got of me on the show was very muted because I wanted to make sure I represented the community properly and I didn't want to argue and I certainly didn't want to argue with the African-American woman on the show I mean I didn't see that as being productive in any way in 1993 when we already had so much duress with the blood crip wars and all these other things like I was conscious so the point is is I never did a confessional and they would try to get me to say negative things in my interviews and I could see it and I just refused This time I walked in and I said, you know, I don't have any points I need to make. I don't have any platform I need to stand on. I'm going to use the confessional. I'm going to be visible. I'm not going to be uh, the add-ons, as Tammy lovingly refers to us. I I say the futakaki to the rice. I'm going to actually show up and participate and be my authentic self and show who I am outside of who I choose to sleep with. You know, Mm -hmm. that work has already been done. And so this time around, it was really fun for me because I got to just be myself and that that took a lot of the pressure off. So I think I answered that question. Sorry, I'm very long. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's fun. Yeah. I mean, you obviously you just talked about being you were the first or one of the first um, women to come out out on national or international television in Hollywood anywhere we had whispers of Hollywood stars that we thought were probably you know you know I don't want to say who they are but you know you knew they had a girlfriend or a life partner or whatever but it was not talked about so yeah I was and I you know my history I've been um jumped and stabbed for being gay and things like that and so uh it was a really big decision for me to to share that vulnerability with the world. But I knew that it needed to be done. I knew that God was giving me that responsibility. 
Yeah, I think you mentioned on the uh, show, and it was was it Cowboys um, that had yeah. jumped. Wow. So do you, I thought did they... I was a gay man because I had short hair. Wow. And after they had stabbed me a couple of times, I lifted my shirt and showed them my chest, and they had enough wits about them to realize that they were stabbing a woman, and they got up and ran. That's that's just crazy to think like in terms of like time frames, you know, I mean, back in what was it, 1993, that's, you know, how you would well, communicate. Well, that was 87. Oh, so this was, was that um, before or after you got off the show? It was before the show. So it's like I had had enough experiences up to the show to understand what happens to queer people in the United States. Mm. So yeah. did your did your coming out on the original show was that did it go ideally to had what you had in mind or was it just an oh, organic yeah. thing? Oh no, I mean it wasn't organic at all. I was in there for like a week because I wanted my roommates to get to know me for who I am, not for you know their own internal bio, internalized biases of who I was, and and that was important to me, of course. They didn't show that week. First mm-hmm. episode, they, you know, they put it editing and they basically, because at that time they didn't have cameras 24 hours a day that we had lights out time, bedtime, which then I would, you know, lay in bed and pretend I was asleep and go out and work at the clubs and things like that without the cameras. But um, they were really adamant that they'd be there when I let my roommates know. And they kind of put, they finally went, Okay, well, now's the time. The cameras are here and we have a house meeting. You need to do it now. And I'd gone to the queer rodeo and had picked up that shirt. I'm not, I think it said, I'm not gay, but my girlfriend is. And um, so I put it on and I went down there and I was just, I mean, you can see it. If you see the episode and you're talking to me now, I was like, like my voice, (laughs) like, oh, this is so embarrassing. This is not how I would do this. You know, I was just, it was very um, forced and it just, I just needed to get over it. You know, it's a lot easier to come out now and yet it's not. If you talk to somebody who has to come out, it's still extremely difficult. So imagine back then when there were zero representation. I mean, we knew Liberace was probably gay. Yeah, that was that was our example. OK, so, yeah. <laughs> <Put> it in clarity. <laughs> so was that um, incorporated into your you know auditioning process? Like you let the producers know beforehand that um, you were you identified that way? Um, well, that that's a whole nother thing. I, I did a podcast around that on our uh, B-roll podcast, but um, I I didn't apply for the show. I was scouted. Oh, you were. But they were looking to fill that specific role. Now, how how was that? Um, how were you scouted out? Like, where did they um find I had, you? Or I was working on a set, and the producer's girlfriend's best friend was this casting director, and it was like a I think it was Hellraiser with Clive Barker. It was a, a low budget, exhausting, very long days, six day mm-hmm. weeks, and they said. Um, would you go down and do us this favor? Michael Caney said, could you please do this favor? My girlfriend's best friend is afraid she's going to get fired because she can't fill this, this uh, role that they want. And they're, they're looking for a lesbian and you just fit the bill and you're so beautiful and you look good on screen and you'll make it look like she's doing her job and I'll give you the day off paid. And I hadn't had a day off in six months. It just been going, going, going. And I was like, yeah, I'll go down. Now, mind you, I'm terrible at, at interviewing, or at least I was back then. Now I can interview for anything. I don't care. I've been a public speaker and all kinds of things. But back then, if you would have told me I was interviewing from for some show on MTV, which I love, I'm an MTV generation, right? I would have just bombed so hard. But I didn't even, I didn't comprehend what I was walking into. I just was doing a favor to my producer and I got paid for the day. <laughs> my pay was like $50 a day back then. But I was like, yes. And so I showed up and there was a panel of people and they said, tell us a story. And, you know, clearly having talked to me for the last however many minutes, you know, I can tell a story. <laughs> I was like, oh, 
I could do that. And I told them some funny stories about when I was fighting fires and some different things like that. And, um, and that was it. And then I went back to work and didn't think about it again. I just didn't think about it. So, yeah. And then I got a call from them. Could they follow me around with a camera? And I was like, oh my gosh. So I went back to Michael Caine and I was like, they want to follow me around with a camera. I'm going to need the day off. Right. And he's like, well, you're making her look good. I'll pay you. Just go do it. And I happened. It was like the record release party for the Geraldine Fibbers, which was my one of the gals I was dating's roommates. I, I don't know. I took them to this wild. <laughs> I came out of the place with a half naked dyke on my shoulders and and, uh, and they must have thought they were really going to get some great footage from me. I, I mean, it was crazy. The footage from that has got to be insane for my follow around. And then, um, and then that was that. And I went back to work and I was like, okay, thank God I've got that over with. Um, and then, yeah. So from there, this guy, Val, I, I, I remember his name because he scared the daylights out of me. He came at like two o'clock in the morning with my contract. And I was like sweeping this warehouse in downtown Los Angeles at two in the morning in the nineties. It was a really dangerous area to be in. And he was just leaning against a pole, staring at me. And I turned around and saw him and scared the shit out of me. And I was like, what the fuck are you doing here? Like, like I've, I've done everything you guys have asked. You need to leave me alone. Like you can't just show up on my set like this, like creep, like what the hell? Like I really <laughs> was just very um, upset. Mm -hmm. And uh, he was like, well, I have your contract. I was like, contract for what? Like, I was really clueless, really clueless. And he said, well, you know, I have your contract for, for the, the real world or whatever. He said, I don't know. I can't remember. And I, I said, I don't even understand what that is. And he's like, oh, well, you get to live in a house in Venice Beach. I lived in Venice Beach in the 80s. And, and I knew the neighborhood he was talking about. And I was going to get to go live there for free. And at the time I was couch surfing, didn't have a place to live. Wow. <laughs> so I went, wait, you guys are going to pay for me to live someplace in some hippie commune where we're going to paint murals and show how people from different backgrounds can live together and we'll like eat dinner together and sing Kumbaya. And he's like, yeah, basically I was like, okay, I'll take the contract. And that's how <laughs> I ended up. No, it was, we didn't paint any murals or have any meals together. No Kumbaya? No Kumbaya. But my favorite thing about the reunion is we ate meals together every day. No matter what went on, we sat down at the end of the day and ate together. And it was wonderful. I'm surprised they didn't have like an organized, like, you know how like seasons or shows will have re like reunion reunions, like reunions to the actual show. I uh -huh. was surprised that they didn't have a reunion to the reunion, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yes. Was there talks for that? Do you know? It's in our contract that they may call us to do a reunion. Oh, wow. I don't think that they put enough pennies in that contract to make that happen. I can't, I cannot imagine to, just watching some of Tammy's recaps and what she's going through and the feedback that she's getting for her uh, part in things. I can't imagine her wanting to do that. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, some people... Like in, if you're in Tammy's shoes, obviously there's a lot of ripple effects that come with what you do. And, um, you know, I can't really fault her if she weren't, you know, wanting to go into that yeah. route. But I mean, she's got a lot of good stuff on her plate right now. Yeah. So I say at our last day, our media day, she told entertainment tonight, I would come back and do this again if there were certain people not here. That was before all of this, you know, she, she gave me word to wise. She said, don't read the comments from people. Just keep moving forward in the direction that you're going. Don't pay attention to the naysayers, you know? And, and so hopefully she's not reading all the comments and things like that. I've, I've always finally had to tell myself, you're not the defense. You don't need to school all of these people because it was hard for me to see some of the comments it's like that's the most interesting thing is like you know, there's how many minutes in a day and it's a 45 minute segment 
and people really feel like they know us and that what they're seeing in editing is truth, is solid concrete truth. And, you know, and that for the most part, we're just a bunch of assholes. And it, it's like, you can't formulate such, well, you can, but it's not wise to formulate such strong opinions about circumstances that you weren't really involved in and that you've only had a bird's eye view of, you know? And so that, you know, I was doing a lot of defending David and Tammy and everyone really. And then I just kind of went, you know, this isn't your responsibility. People are going to take what they take from it. And I've said this in previous episodes of mine. I just find that like just baffling how, you know, people that like obviously fans, you know, because they're watching it, how they could formulate like such deep opinions to where like you could carry so much of that um emotion in like your everyday life that you feel the need to get so worked up over one it's just i mean it's a tv show of you know people you're in some cases probably never going to um meet or just don't know in general and it's an edited tv show at the end of the day so i just never i was never that guy but i was also never one to understand why other people could just formulate that deep of an emotion over like a short show like, I, I just never found that. It's interesting. Well, and you, I guess because they they know what the formula is. Bunum Murray, um, Mary Ellis Bunum, she was a, a soap opera producer her whole career. So they know, they understand the formula to, to hook people emotionally. And there's a lot there that people can relate to. And so they feel like maybe they know the whole picture. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, and it, it's an intentional formula, um, you know, and again, I did, I did for B-roll, we did some podcasts about that. And one of the things that I shared was, I understand why that happens, but when your own roommates believe it, I've gotten calls from my own roommates believing the edit. Wow. Like, well, what are you talking about? Did you see what I was wearing? That wasn't even about you. That was a totally different day. Like. It's, it's interesting. So when your own roommates believe it, you know, that's that's tricky because I actually have a vested interest in these human beings mm-hmm. and their well-being. And I had to get really clear, like one of the main reasons I went into this was to get to meet David and to know David and to understand him. And, um, you know, I really tried to be there for him. And uh he decided the way it was edited that I didn't have his back and I had to get clear with myself because I'm so heart centered. Like, you know, I've, I've only known this guy for 10 days, you know, how yeah. far am I at? and he's like, I'd really like to take a break from people from MTV. I'd really like to not, um, have you in my life. And I was like, Oh, okay. Right. You don't owe me anything. I don't owe you anything. Thank you. So this was the conversation post-show between you and David? Yeah, I mean, we stayed in connection for a while, and then I was going to fly out. He had a show in Washington, D.C. this month. I was going to fly out to it, and he was like, why would you come here? I was like, oh, yeah, false expectations, Beth. We're not buddies. He was there to do a job, you know, and I forget. And that's that's that really weird gray line. Like, we're expected to show up where our our true selves on our sleeve, what's really going on in our lives, our... Uh, our most vulnerable moments are shared with the world. And so you get this false sense that you're bonding with these people. And I, and then it's like, you have to pull back and remember, this is a job. We're not all here for the same reasons. Well, they did have scenes and I was just watching this um, before we hopped on here. They had scenes of you and David talking outside. I think this was during part one of the last episode to where he, you're seeing a side of David that, like, you're not normally seeing. He's kind of, you know, lively, opening up to you. And I think one, like, verbatim, what he said was, what you guys have isn't promised tomorrow. And we saw a side of David that was deeper than, I guess, what we had seen throughout the, you know, first half of the series. And that makes me wonder, um, well, I guess this will be a two-parter. Do you feel like the David that you met on the show um, was a little misunderstood or 
is what maybe it was portrayed to be really who he is? I think there's two sides to that. And of course, I've covered this over and over again in our B-roll podcast with our recaps because people have been asked this a lot. First of all, that scene that they show, what we're talking about is his perspective about the Black Lives Matter conversation. Mm -hmm. And we're talking in agreement about um, his viewpoint, which I think was a really relevant conversation that maybe was too expansive for people. People aren't ready for that conversation yet. It's one that more scholarly people talk about, about corporate greed and how it's creating a divide and that lack consciousness so that you buy and want more and all that kind of stuff. And so he was talking about it on a much more systemic level, like how do we change this on a systemic level? And so we were having that dialogue in the morning after that heated night and we were laughing and it's me going, truth. Yeah. Uh-huh. Totally agree with you. Got it. Understand it. And both things have to happen simultaneously, right? We have to have a release as well. And so we were having like a really candid conversation about that. I'm laughing when you see me cracking up laughing. I'm laughing because I'm like, well, yeah, duh. Of course, those things, systemic change has to be addressed, right? So we were having like a really intelligent, uh, beautiful conversation. Second part of that is um, what he said to me in that particular morning conversation about I felt more seen and understood and heard than I had in years, probably in two decades. And he was giving me validation that it's okay at this age to put the baton down, to not to to solve all of it myself, to stop sacrificing myself and to just focus on living my authenticity and my best life. And he, it was like a real Yoda moment. Like David has all these super, super Yoda moments where he sees other people and their vulnerability. And he has a way of gently uh, giving them permission or validation or consent to, to, to just step it gently into their greater self. And that is the truth of his heart. He's, he's very loyal. He's um, incredibly intelligent. And I think that what they showed of him, he gave them. So there's two sides to him. And sometimes when people have experienced severe trauma and there hasn't been a true healing from it, when we are triggered, we revert to our tools. And his tools are very familiar to me because I grew up on the streets and in kind of the same neighborhoods as him. His tools pop up hard. His tools are are so defensive and he just goes into flight or fight mode. Mm-hmm. And so you're seeing his vulnerability. So I think the greater question is, and mind you, he's just gotten out of ICU from a coma from being hit by a truck right before this. He's coming off of major, major medication, right? So it's like there's so many dynamics going on there. And I think the bigger question is, was this too soon for him? Because he had so much else going on that he couldn't buffer his vulnerability. I'm sure he would have liked to have been more graceful. Where is the responsibility of the networks in that as well? I mean, they they had to really walk carefully through this as well for, for his safety. You know, and then when you see how he's posting now and stuff and the level of anger and hurt that he has, because that kind of humor comes out of anger and hurt. Is he showing his true colors now? No, he's still just an absolute reactionary defense mode. That's not who he is. It sent him over the edge. And I've always said that um, I feel like there should be more programs in place post show for reality tv stars in terms of mental health i always said that there should be this kind of stationary period not before you return to normal life but somewhere in the middle to where once you get done filming you're put into like some bubble to where you're not isolated but you're in a very normal but minimized social setting to before you step back into your normal setting to because that way i felt that you would be able to transition better into your normal life because i know that um the trauma from talking to 
cast members, obviously, is very staggering in terms of being thrust back into having to deal with the trauma of watching yourself on TV after living it in real time and then watching it back. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. I mean, they did. We had to take a psych eval before this, which we didn't do the first time around because none of us knew what we were doing. Right. And I did ask in that um, after we had that entertainment tonight day where Tammy's husband showed up again and and David was just like, well, I'm out. You know, uh, I asked the producers, have you reached out to David with resources for mental health? There's supposed to be a psychologist available to us afterwards. I was like, how do we contact the psychologist? What's the phone number? Where is the text or email that you guys are supposed to send us now that says, we know that this can be um, really emotional. Here's the resources that we're providing. And that, and they, they weren't real quick on that. They were already rushing and pushing to get to the next season, right. To start filming. Yeah. The season. And so there, there definitely is like something that's different about reality television versus how I treated talent on in production as well as in, even in fashion where talent isn't treated very well. <laughs> There's some level of humanity involved in it. Right. And this felt very inhumane on a lot of levels. Uh, having a production background, I was astonished at the conditions and how we were being treated. And I don't, say that in a way to disrespect production in any way but there is a lot of room for improvement there and it was it was everyone was in a big hurry to get this done and there was a lot going on and a very very heavy push i mean for example in production you talent has an eight-hour turnaround mm -hmm. this is 24 7 this is and there's this whole psychology to it where they're breaking you down so that you say the darndest things yeah so there's lights and there's all this electricity and technology around you and then they never tell you what's going to come next and in five minutes you're going to do this and so it is it's just like hyped up let's drag you through all the trauma and tragedy that you have had in the past and are having presently to get the content and then we're going to just spit you out you know so i do think that they attempted to check the boxes Okay, we have a psychologist available. Okay, and in my my situation in particular with my child, they were very responsive. It was a little bit different because there's a minor child involved. So mm -hmm. for me personally, I felt very uh, supported. Yeah. And handled things incredibly well. But just from peripheral of what I was seeing with the other participants, they went through a lot of uh, self-doubt and frustration and anger and emotion afterwards that letdown that you're talking about. Mm -hmm. oh, how am I going to be perceived? How am I going to, for me, man, I said something that not even my children know. And that, and it was in the height of that BLM, Black Lives Matter um, conversation. I was like, I can't believe I just said that on national television. I went and called my husband and I was like, this, I've said this, there's a chance they could use it. And then in my last interview, uh, the, the producer that was filming me said, um, is there anything you regret you said? And I said, I, re I regret saying this. And I thought, boy, that's going to go one of way, two ways. They are going to either favor me and edit it out or they're going to use it because they're looking for things that cause drama, right? And um, by the grace of God, they didn't put it in there by the grace of God. So the one thing that I was holding my breath on and waiting and waiting for that episode to come out. And what was worse is I was home in Hawaii with my whole family for the holidays. The episode came out during the holidays, right? I snuck up at six in the morning and watched it on in my earbuds before my family woke up and then was like, okay, you can watch it. I mean, it was so bad that I told my husband, I would really prefer it if you just didn't watch this uh, reunion at all. He's like, what do you mean? I'm, of course I'm going to watch it. I'm like, no, you don't have to. It's just a shit show. Don't bother. I told my parents not to watch it. My parents haven't. My my mom is um, surviving cancer right now. And I was like, mom, you've always been so supportive of me. Don't watch this. There's just too much negativity. It's not good for your health, you know. But 
I tried that on my husband. He was like, oh, hell no, I'm watching it. <laughs> Thank God I got off the hook. So anyway, um, yes, there needs to be a better debriefing period. I do see their efforts, mm-hmm. but they felt more like legal obligations. And there needs to be a warmer handoff in that. Keep the um, keep the talent coordinator on for for an extra five days and have that person connect with the cast and make sure that they really are okay. Do they have those re- those mental health resources and things that have been made available? Do, do they have the number? Do they know who to call? Are they all right? Mm. That was really valuable. Mm-hmm. And one thing I did notice that you said before um, was obviously the entertainment tonight um, thing uh-huh. that you guys went and did. So Tammy's husband showed up to that as well. To confront David? Yeah, that was aired. Oh, wow. Because this is my first time hearing about it, so. Oh, yeah. No, he was like, he's like, oh, yeah, no, that's going to be, that's going to, you're on my show. This is happening on my time. That's definitely going to be shown. Because here's the other thing. It's really interesting. Something that came up for me that I thought about. That whole blanket scene, which kind of got. I don't want to say blown out of proportion because it was very real for Tammy. Mm-hmm. I want to acknowledge that. If you know the climate in 1993 and what was going on with all the spring break shows on MTV and all of this stuff, then you have a better understanding of where David was coming from trying to turn the volume up. And I'm not excusing anything in any way at all, but it got blown up in a way that harmed not only David but from what Tammy shares harmed her because she was she got a lot of backlash at a young age for getting the only black man you know thrown off the show there was there was a lot of um trauma for both of them around that and it it dawned on me that production had a choice in how they edited that and how they shared that with the world and it all could have happened very, very differently for both of those people. That still could have been covered in a certain way, but it could have been very different. And it just never crossed my mind. It's like, I used to have this attitude that, well, if you give it to them, they can use it. Yeah. Now, if you give it to them, they're a choice. And I know that because they chose to not show that most vulnerable thing that I did that I'm so grateful they didn't show, right? They could have chosen to not do that even with Tammy's husband coming over. They could have chosen that. They could have protected him because he was a husband who was honestly responding out of concern for his wife. You know, I mean, that that could have played out really differently. But then it rolled over to Entertainment Tonight and became public domain. And you think at that point, that they can edit it out probably not i'm gonna have to look this up once we're off this because this is when you mentioned it, that's the first time that i've ever uh you know heard of it so yeah yeah it was wild <laughs> so what exactly if you could pinpoint do you think um is maybe the reasoning for david saying that you didn't have his back post show did he mention anything in particular or was he just acting out of yeah. impulse when he said that? I mentioned some things from my podcasts or, but it sounded to me more like it was feedback from other people and viewers often confuse Beth S and I, it's why I did my hair different. Like you see my hair is kind of like hers now. I tried to look <laughs> of course I'm a lot heavier than her right now, but I tried to like, all these blonde ladies all look the same or something. I tried to really kind of have us be different people because um, people confuse us all the time already. But it was amazing how often David was piping in and going, oh, wrong Beth, when people were criticizing me. Mm. Like I would make a comment on it saying, he was like, oh, no, 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 that's the wrong Beth. That's this, you know, you're talking. So when, when David told me his reasons, um, I was like, oh, well, that wasn't me, but okay. And it was more like, I couldn't tell if he was talking to me from a clear space or not, if he was clear, Mm -hmm. you know. And so I just chose, like, to respect him and his wishes. 
I didn't need to defend myself or justify. I know um, that I made every effort to create space for him to have healing. And that was my naivety to think that in a two-week period with all those cameras and all those dynamics that he could have had any kind of healing at all. And so that was a false expectation on my part. And um, it was a false expectation to think that after all of that, that he would want to remain friends with us too. So again, I had to put it in perspective. He only knew me for 10 or 12 days before he left the house and he doesn't owe me anything. And, and so I just had to put my big heart aside and be like, come on, it's a full grown man who's like, I'm out, you know, accept people where they're at. And, you know, one of the things that I've learned to do is I've always been very, uh, because I'm clairvoyant and empathic, I tend to see people's potential or their soul or their greater selves. And I'm learning now how to listen to where people are really at and how they're showing up rather than seeing their greater whole self. And so I was able to receive what David was saying that he needed to break and just give it to him. So that's like learning how to have appropriate boundaries and to honor other people's boundaries. Would you still be open to a friendship, though, if he uh, pursued it with you? Yeah, he's in Beverly Hills right now. I would love to go to the comedy store with him. He's, <laughs> he's a blast. He's really fun. Yeah. Like, honestly, he's funny as shit and just stupid fun. Like, mm. the shenanigans, the merry pranksters. I haven't done I have to do a podcast around that. I was really hoping he was going to be on it with me. And that was one of his closing things to me is like, I'm not going to be on your podcast either. And I was like, oh, that's too bad. Because we did share a lot of fun things. And I think that we could have had a friendship for a lifetime where we have a lot of commonalities and he's like he's from trinidad and he's never been to trinidad i was like dude we got money right now i'll take you to trinidad like i love the caribbean i used to live in st vincent grenadines like like it's so beautiful there like let's go let's do it and he just was like didn't know what to do with me he was like who the fuck are you like he he wasn't he wasn't ready for that uh I couldn't even get him professional with me he's like you're a married woman i'm not going behind some closed door with you like you know (laughs) We we had some funny ones. We had some funny ones. Yeah. Let's talk about your podcast now, though, since, you know, you've mentioned it and I've obviously seen. Wh- when did you launch this? What maybe inspired you to launch this? And what exactly do you deal with with your podcast? Oh, OK. Well, that's a fun one to talk about that. So I was joking about being this. No, I had a really brilliant career. Let's just start there. Like crazy, ridiculous, brilliant. Like I've done everything I've ever wanted to do. I've had such a blessed and gifted life. And, you know, this portrayal on reality TV is such a small landscape of who I am, you know, truly. And so my, I was joking around with my family, um, I think around Thanksgiving or something like that. Sorry, I've got dogs going off in the background. Um, I was joking around with my family about how, like, I think I have the longest B-roll leading role. And it's not, and at 50, it's not just about being a B-roll player. Like, so the first running joke was like, I've got to go to the Miss Pat show because I have been Tammy's, like, B-roll character. Like, you know, these A-list reality stars have to have a B-roll person to turn to and talk to or else they have no platform, right? Like there's got to be like, they have to have some interaction. And so we were laughing about it, like jokingly about how I'm like the highest paid B-roll actor and, uh, and just, and just making light and fun because they never know what to do with me. Like when I showed up at the house, they didn't even have a picture of me on the wall. It was like, upcoming, they didn't No, they didn't. Uh, And I was told it was because they just didn't know I was on the show. And so I'm like, so it's like this culmination of things that are like, what is it about me that I'm not fully visible, that I've done all these amazing things, but that I walk into an environment people don't know who I am. I've been a member of my church since I was 19. I like catered my reverence wedding. I've been there for every retreat, but they don't know who the fuck I am. I tithe. I do all this stuff. They never like everywhere I go, like 
what is it about me that didn't feel safe enough to really truly be visible? And so this was kind of this coming out party for me, this B-roll thing where it was like, well, I'm going to be an A-list player in a B-roll game. I'm going to step out of being visible as Mrs. Mayhow or Tommy's wife. I'm going to step out of being a mother to my six children and the 40 foster children that I've raised. I'm going to step out of being somebody's daughter and all of these different titles that I've hidden behind where I haven't been truly fully visible. And I'm going to start stepping into my own authenticity at 50 years old. Right. So that's kind of where this came from. And we were joking around. And so we started doing stupid things. Like, I don't know if you saw one where, um, we went to Los Angeles to find the billboard because New York had a billboard in Times Square. Mm-hmm. Well, Paramount Plus didn't have a billboard for us. They had all these billboards for Clifford the Little Red Dog. And so, <laughs> which is my burn to that because he had all the billboards. And so we made all these eight and a half by 11 flyers, my, my sister-in-law and I, and we posted them on top of We took scotch tape and taped him over Clifford, the little red dog, (laughs) and just changed the November 10th uh, premiere to November 24th, right? Mm -hmm. And it was like the photo that they used to publicize our things. So we were doing silly things like that. And I called the producers first and was like, don't worry about it if you don't know where the billboard is. I've got you covered. We're going to go create our own billboards. And I really did call them and leave those messages. So I recorded this whole trip. And we had so much fun doing it. We didn't care if anyone saw it. We were just like having so much fun. And then we got like my admin involved at the office, who's like a big challenge all-star fan. And we started having so much fun. We're like, let's go with this. And I'd always wanted to do a podcast, but you know me, I want it to be rich, intelligent conversation. Yeah. It is two tracks recapping the episodes and answering questions and talking about what was really going on, bringing the truth into it, talking about the fact that Tammy's not really the villain, that David's not really the victim, that everybody had like really talking about kind of more mature content and, and, and looking at it in that kind of a little bit more spiritually grounded way. Well, that was fun. And then the second part is that we do these breaking reality. So we go and we interview people who are breaking colonized thinking, kind of patriarchal colonized thinking and the limitations that that puts on all of us and what it means to be sovereign with your own mind, your own body, your own thoughts. And if we can, we're always talking about how we need to create a new paradigm where with true um, equality and all of these things and how do we get there? And I, I believe that it's becoming sovereign with our own thoughts. Is this congruent with my truth? Is this really uh, how I believe or did I inherit this from my family of origin, from society, dotty, dotty, dotty. And so that's what we're doing. And we're having a freaking blast. We're having so much fun. It's ridiculous. We went to like a twerk church class in Kauai that blew the roof off and changed my life forever. So we're getting introduced to all these people that are in these alternative healing modalities and these ways that they're going about becoming more sovereign with their, with their own bodies and minds and breaking those um, kind of patriarchal colonized agreements, the, those be polite at cost of self agreements. Right. And, um, and it's just great. I can't think of anything that I've enjoyed more and really having fun. It's awesome when you find um, I like to call it symbolism when you find, um, you know, a unique way of, you know, mixing a real life thought or occurrence with the name of something that you find a passion in and just, you know, riding with it. So it's really cool, in my opinion, that you managed to mix, you know, the B-roll aspect into something you're passionate about. Yeah, well, and mind you, we are still going to do silly stuff. So we're planning on all going down and becoming um extras with 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 the central casting Mm -hmm. and like having but like that a-list player like finding out how to get the cell phone number of the craft service person and texting them can you please bring a cappuccino over to the extras area (laughs) we're, we're gonna have more fun with it and really show like part of being an a-list player for me is having gratitude for all the experiences. So if we do extra work and our shoe is in the shot, 
oh my gosh, I was in that shot. I was there. Like just having fun and being lighthearted and learning how to make fun of ourselves a little bit and uh, let loose and find joy in, in every moment. Mm-hmm. So that's that's the whole thing of it. It's B-roll. It's B-R-O-L-E. So it's a play on, you know, B-roll, the outtakes, right? Because I was such a B-roll character in the... Um, in 1993 that was kind of the running joke is like I was just like the the literally the b-roll camera would decide to go with me every once in a while like the, so that's where the joke came out of but we're doing it as a b-roll as in r-o-l-e as in be a list player in your own game even if you mm-hmm. have to be a b-roll character and everybody else's as a mother as a um, as a son as whatever the the roles that we choose to take on how do you become an a-list player in that for yourself I absolutely love your message there, and I will link your podcast in the description of this video once it is up. And for those watching, obviously, you just heard her. Go and check that out um, when you have the time. And Beth, thank you again for your time today. I had a really fun time talking with you, and it was finally nice to uh, catch up and meet you. Yeah, thank you so much for being patient and and making the time to meet with me around my busy schedule. I appreciate it very much. Blessings. Stay warm and keep doing what you're doing. Thank you. You too. Have a great rest of your day. Okay. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.